On this episode of Progressive Palaver, the group goes back to our beginnings and covers Marillion's script for Jester's Tear. Hi and welcome to Progressive Palaver, a group of lifelong friends and appreciators of music discussing the greatest progressive rock bands album by album. I'm Joe Beauclair and on this episode of Progressive Palaver, I'm joined by my very good friends Tom Corcoran and Paul Zotter as we circle back to where we started and cover Marillion's first album, Script for a Jester's Tear. Gentlemen, welcome to episode 101. Yes. Fantastic. <laughs> so we had we had hatched this scheme a while back and and it just it just happened to fall perfectly in numerical order of the episodes. But we had, you know, as the plaver has grown and we've sort of, you know, figured out what our MO is and how we attack these things, it's always sort of rankled, embarrassed, whatever me the way we started out and and I know that's that's the way all podcasts start out you know they're they're Paul you had made mention in the pre-show about you know our sound quality at very least has improved greatly um you know when podcasts start out you have that you have technical difficulties or you're you're scraping together whatever you have lying around you don't necessarily know what format or or mechanism works best for the podcast. Uh, we had an agenda at, at the time, and the agenda was very aggressive and very quick, and we didn't realize that there was more that we could say. So that being said, that th- those first episodes, and the first episode particularly, where we blow through all four Fish albums in about an hour, by today's Palaver standards, it is a, it's, it's a terrible... Terrible misrepresentation. It's an abomination. Is it is an it abomination. Is. <laughs> so, so, so we had we had sort of hatched this idea a long time ago, and I think Tom, you probably brought it up to to go back at very least and cover the Fish Era Marillion albums, sort of in depth and really get in there. And then as we sort of were going along, and and we were in the Pink Floyd segment, and it became obvious that. Pink Floyd was going to end on 99 and we could have our episode 100 extravaganza and Tom you're you're available at this time it just seemed absolutely perfect to go back to the beginning and and really look at these albums you know in the modern palaver way well I cannot tell you how excited I am guys I mean these first four million albums really stand out and not just in the world of Marillion, but in the prog world. And I am so excited to talk about these albums because they really mean a lot to me. So I'm, I'm, I'm besides myself. Cool. <laughs> wow. Well, and, and we, and we do know Tom because, and, and in fact, all of the Palaver listenership knows because even though you could not attend <laughs> the episode of the top 10 Marillion albums, you did include all four fish albums in your in your top four and and since you, you we declared a party foul for besides themselves being number five and given the fact that all of the b-sides seem to show up on the the 1997 reissues 
I am proposing to the palaver that we extend this this special engagement to a five-episode slot and cover beside themselves as well. Joe, you will not get an argument from me. So, I mean, I, if you, Paul, and Ken uh, want to do that, I'm all for it. I don't know if Ken would, but uh, I'm, I'm certainly all certain. I need to go and see. I remember seeking out besides themselves somewhere. I don't know where I was that I knew, but I sought this out and and bought it. And I had it on CD. I have to go see if I still have it. There was a time where I, I unloaded a lot of CDs. And um, I wonder if that was one of the ones that I un- unloaded it because I, you know, after I first bought it and I was so excited that I got this rare gem. And once I listened to it, I, I was I never listened to it again. I, I, I don't think after that, uh, that that day, perhaps shamefully, I'm not sure. But we'll get into that as we go. But I'm definitely in for a B-sides themselves episode. I, sure. I, and I think I've always been fascinated with that record. I like those B-sides. I think they're great. Plus, it, it has it has Grendel, which, you know, is part of the lore of, of Marillion. Sure. And, and it's funny because I, I showed you guys a picture today. This particular album wasn't something that I needed to spend a huge amount of time listening to because I'm so familiar with it and I've been listening to it fairly consistently for so long. But I, I showed you guys, so today I sort of, I, I entertained myself and was listening to the Mick Pointer Band's live version of Script mm. on the, the wonderful translucent pink vinyl, which is very Ooh. sweet. But what's, what, what's funny about that is that album has a second disc, which has Grendel, Three Boats Down from the Candy, Market Square Heroes, etc. So it, With the same band? With the that? same band, so it covers. Oh, terrific! It covers the B sides from the script album as well. So I just, you know, that's fun. That's very cool. Now I do, I do feel obligated to mention the fact that um, Ken Gregory is not with us tonight. Now Ken was supposed to be with us, and you know, I guess in the interest of transparency, I should note that Ken has been. Uh, whining is that the right word about this album for the last several days um he, he unfortunately <laughs> is is feeling under the weather and so he wasn't able to join us but he did send an email that i have and i can read no. into the record um just to get tom's blood pressure up a little bit oh but, my excellent. <laughs> excellent and ken made no bones about his uh less than than um what what should i say Less than enthusiastic opinions about Fish Marillion in our in our top ten episode. Yes, absolutely. You know, th- this is interesting. When I hear early Marillion and I hear these albums, I sometimes think of Ken. I kind of recently, I was shocked. I didn't know that there was this sort of resistance with it because I always... I think of fish and I, I think of the, the poetry and a lot of the music. And I just, I somehow picture Ken enjoying himself. Tom, I'm so glad you mentioned this ever since I heard the line, please excuse me. I never meant to break your heart. I was like, this guy is, is like Ken Gregory. <laughs> like, like I hear, like when I think of I, you know, 
Ken would give me these cassettes that he would record in his in his bedroom when we were in high school. And they were these amazing songs that he would write. And he would have like two boom boxes and he would he would play guitar and sing and he would multi-track with with two boom boxes. And when I listened to the some of this early fish, that's what it reminds me of. And I'm so glad you said that. And it is when you think about that, it's kind of shocking that that Ken sort of feels the the way the way that he does. Interesting. Well, uh, I'm really looking forward to hearing what he he wrote, and you know, hopefully he can join us for some of these other albums. But it is it is very is is a weird sort of paradox almost. Kind of like your thoughts on misplaced childhood, but I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, Tom. <laughs> we won't get into that. We won't. Now, one of the, one of the things, and, and that I have been thinking, and and Paul, you, I think you're the only one who's been brave enough to go back and listen to episode one. I honestly have not listened to episode one since we released it. Haven't even mm. touched it. So I don't know if I if I made any mention of this before, but as we were sort of gearing up for this and as my, my brain started to kind of get engaged, I, the thing that I, one of the things that I really want to gush about, and I could, I could literally probably spend an entire two-hour episode just discussing Fish's lyrics in these four albums. Mm-hmm. There are so many times when he just, the words he uses, I, I just think they're brilliant. Absolutely phenomenal. I love the way, at least in this era, he used the language and, and, and was able to, I mean, it's, it's, it's clever, it's witty, it's engaging, it's descriptive, it's, it's painful, it's all of those things. And so there are going to be a couple places, certainly in, in here tonight, but I think even more so, um, in in Fugazi and probably clutching at straws, where I'm going to probably just go gushing over lyrics themselves. Mm. Uh, I'm probably going to do a lot of that as well. <laughs> so, well, yeah, go ahead, Paul. Yeah, well, I'm I'm, I'm going to enjoy this 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 part because uh, I'm just going to enjoy listening to you guys gush over the lyrics because because it's it's been a different. It's been a different experience for me, I gotta say, this time around than it than it was even three years ago. I'll just I'll just leave it at that for now. All right. Shall we do the uh, Shall we do the particulars, and then maybe we can read Ken's email, and then we can get into it. Yes. Although I, you know, I'm not in charge of this part of the podcast, so I may be in the wrong spot. I feel somewhat obligated to just briefly touch upon the timeline of progressive rock. Do if we do you, that before the particulars or after? Uh, it's usually before, so if you are uh, if you're ready to do that, Paul, that would be wonderful. I'm ready to go. So th- this is going to be a little different because it's 1993, so I'm going to kind of take a look at what's going on in 1990 in 1983, okay? Not too in the in the in the rearview mirror of the Progressive Palaver podcast, uh, we have the final cut in 1993. We also have Frank Zappa. What's your problem with 93 and 83 tonight? I'm sorry, it's 83. <laughs> 83. 1983, the final cut. Frank Zappa uh, released uh, apparently two albums on the same day, Baby Snakes and Man from Utopia, the same uh, month that Marillion released script for Jester's Tear. Steve Hackett, highly strung, 
Asia's Alpha, which I do believe had um, Don't Cry. Yep. Electric Light Orchestra, Secret Messages, Genesis, self-titled Genesis, and then just a month later, Yes is 90125. Do we really need to continue on? I don't think um, so. <laughs> from there. Um, I mean, this was, this is in the world of, um, uh, uh, of progressive music that was sort of this progressive pop, if you will. I mean, this was the year. Um, it is important probably just to note IQ released Tales from the Lush Attic, but perhaps more importantly, Queensryche released their debut EP, self-titled Queensryche. Ooh, nice. So I'll, I'll just leave it at that. There's some context around what was going on, and I, and I think it's fascinating to, to think about that, to think about 1983's Billboard Hot 100 singles included things like Every Breath You Take by The Police, Billie Jean by Michael Jackson, Down Under by Men at Work. Wow. So that's sort of the 1983 musical context where Fish and Marillion decide to drop their much-awaited debut album. Thank you, Paul. I, I just wanted to recap something while we're on the, the, the subject, uh, and it was something that... Um, Ken brought to our attention during the Momentary Lapse of Reason episode while we're on the, the subject of all this. Uh, I found it very interesting that between the final cut and Momentary Lapse of Reason, all four of these Fish Area Merillion albums came out just right in the pocket there of, of these two um, you know, big, big Pink Floyd albums. And I, I also find it um, uh, really amazing that right now in 1983, and I don't, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves here, but uh, and right now in 1983, Prague is sort of way out. Like no one is talking about Prague. No one is listening to really anything new. Prague. I don't want to say nothing, but you know, for the most part, Prague is 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 really yesterday's news, and a band that comes out with the kind of stuff that we're going to be talking about in 1983, I think should be noted because uh, what we are going to be going through over these next uh, you know four albums all five albums really with the b-sides um from the points that you you mentioned paul and you know the 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 80s this is so not cool like this is like the the anti-popular anti-cool and and even even fish i mean just him his his persona just is, is just not a cool kind of a guy, you know. He's just sort of awkward. You're right, Tom. It's almost like it's almost like like even the stalwarts of progressive rock, like Yes, were and Genesis, are oh. releasing very uh, uh, accessible accessible albums. Right. And it's almost and they're and they're becoming cool. And it's almost like Fish and Marillion were like, nope, 
we're going to be geeks just like we used to be. Like, that's that's what we're going to do. We're exactly. Gonna, we're gonna... And those those two examples you brought up, Paul, are perfect. I mean, no, I mean, Genesis and I mean, 90125, are you kidding me? Um, so, I mean, they were just like, this is what we want to do. And this is and this is how we're going to do it. And they did it. It was like unapologetic. And it was that's that's also the difference between gosh, I don't even know. Were they approaching middle age at that point as opposed to the angry young man stage that Merlion were in? Right. Because, you know, there's there's an energy and a a perspective difference that comes with age. So it's, you know, and and I think fast forward however many years when we're going to have the where if we were going that far, we would have this exact same conversation about holidays in Eden. Okay. You know, yeah. where where the well, music becomes yeah. more accessible and they have yeah. you know, they have Steve Hogarth, at least a young Steve Hogarth was their sort of sex symbol. I remember there's that one video where he's just sitting there staring at the camera with his hair all wet. You know, it's the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Fish was twenty five when they released script. Yeah. So so let's talk about the particulars of Script for a Jester's Tear. It was uh, released in March of 1983. It was produced by Nick Tauber and released on the label EMI. Personnel included Fish on vocals, Stephen Rothery on guitars, Peter Trawavis on bass, Mark Kelly on keyboards, and Mick Pointer on drums and percussion. Track listing on the original release is Script for a Jester's Tear, he Knows You Know, The Web, Garden Party, Chelsea Monday, and Forgotten Sons. Script for Jester's Tear is the debut studio album by British neo-progressive rock band Marillion, released in the United Kingdom on 13 March 1983 by EMI Records. The album reached number 7 and spent 31 weeks in the UK Albums Chart, eventually achieving a platinum certificate and produced the top 40 single, He Knows You Know, and the top 20 single, Garden Party. Script for Jester's Tear is the only studio album by Marillion to feature the the band's original drummer and founding member, Mick Pointer, who was dismissed following the album's UK tour. In Martin Popoff's uh, 2016 biography of Yes, the album is credited with being part of a, quote, new wave, end quote, of British progressive rock, which also helped to give a second life to earlier bands. Nice. I was hoping that I would be able to find more information on Neo-Prog, but I I was unable to sort of come across anything because one of the, my, my impression is likely biased, but my impression is that Marillion if not the originators of Neo-Prog, were probably certainly the most successful of the Neo-Prog bands, given the fact that they're still going strong today and we just enjoyed a wonderful couch convention weekend with them just a couple of weeks ago. Um, you know, so so they, they certainly have withstood the test of time with regards to that. And they did, you know, they did achieve a... a tremendous amount of success even in the you know the the four or five year period where they had fish and and another thing that did sort of come out to me as I was I was sort of doing some research on this album is and and we we put a knock against Pink Floyd in the beginning of their career that they hadn't paid their dues Marillion was a hard-working 
you know, live band before they mm. made script for Jester's Tear. Um, cool or not cool, you know, with all the changes in music that were going on, these guys were, by all accounts, performing a lot and performing, mm. you know, these these songs that they had. And and it's funny when you talk about this neo-prog and I, I look at it because there are there are certain nods to the conventions and the tropes of of traditional progressive music as it had evolved to that point but it also has this new energy and you do feel you know some of these other influences sort of coming in as well so it 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 it's certainly on the the trend line but it clearly is not you know genesis or yes or or any of the yeah. others so joe you may have seen this but there certainly is a definition available for neo-prog, which perhaps even trumps the idea of progressive rock being defined clearly. But neo-prog is definitely a sub-genre of progressive rock. Uh, incidentally, the wikis credit the genre's most popular band as, in fact, being Marillion. Well, there you go. And I love this. Neoprog is characterized by deeply emotional content, often delivered via dramatic lyrics and a generous use of imagery and theatricality on stage. The music, this is this part I love the most, and I think is probably the biggest, perhaps the biggest difference. The music is mostly the product of careful composition, relying less heavily on improvised jamming. There you go. There you go. So I think that that fits nicely. Although to your point, I think to me, I always thought that that script for a jester's tear was almost like a destination for Marillion, right? Like they had, like you said, Joe, they, they had already been touring or maybe not touring, but performing heavily. Like I remember having a video of, of like a VHS tape of that I bought at like a record show when they used to have those sorts of things. And, and it was a, it was like an old video of, with like, like a rock star, Steven Rothery and fish wearing like a, like a, a Brown, like leather helmet that looked like it was constructed somewhere in Scotland. And I, they were performing Grendel and he had like a, he like lifted an audience member up and was like slapping the audience <laughs> member across the, like it was, it was, and, and it seemed to me like when script for a jester's tear came out, it was like this huge following of this live band finally had an album to sink their teeth into. Yeah. And, and it, <sighs> Another thing that I find interesting, and, and I don't know, Tom, maybe you know the lore here a little bit better, but it seems to me that Fish is not in any way, shape, or form a natural singer. And and while I will gush over his lyrics, there are moments, especially on script, where, especially in this most recent series of listens, his vocals just clearly don't, they're, they're not up to snuff with the rest. And I find it kind of funny to, to sort of hear the tales of him dismissing Nick Pointer because he wasn't developing musically given, you know, where Fish was at the time. But that's that's neither here nor there. 
when we talk about Neoprog and the relationship of Marillion to their their founder or their their forefathers or whatever you want to say, we've mentioned in the Genesis segment the obvious connections, um, both musically with Genesis in certain areas, as well as you know there are parts where where Fish is, I don't want to say aping Peter Gabriel, but he's clearly it he he's clearly taking a lot of inspiration from Peter Gabriel and 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 his performances and everything else. I would argue that his lyrics are probably better than Gabriel on some levels. Um, but the other interesting thing that we've come about is the the influence of one David Gilmore on Stephen Rothery. Even as early as this album that manifests itself. There are parts in here where you're like, yeah, I mean, you, you, it, to me, it seems obvious that, that Stephen is, is very much influenced by, uh, by Gilmore. So, so you have this sort of interesting gamish of, it's almost like, and, and is it wrong to say that the rest of the band is more influenced by Genesis, but you've got this David Gilmore, Pink Floyd influence sort of integrated into that. And, and it creates this very interesting amalgam. Mm. It's interesting that you bring up the guitar similarities. I think that both Gilmore and, and Rothery, they can play such few notes and sound so good with their tone and they make it look so simple. We've talked about this before, especially yeah. recently with Gilmore. Um, uh, they just will play something. They were, they're barely moving on stage. Uh, fingers are barely moving. And they're just, what's coming out is just jaw dropping. And they really do make it look simple. And they really do yeah. make it sound like, well, I could do that. Well, and well, guess what? We can't. Um, and I think Steve Rothery, I mean, he's just like this big set guy and he doesn't like a, a lot of these guys are just like not what you think about when you think about, you know, rock stars. Um, but and he just is so calm and cool on stage. And I mean, the guy just never hits a wrong note. I mean, I, I don't I mean, there's. Uh, I'm sure we could find something out there, but I mean, he, for the most part, I mean, he really is on all the time and his, his tone is just gorgeous. And even from the beginning, well, so, so we're talking about script, right? I mean, a lot of times it takes players a while to come to, to find their voice. But I mean, there are moments on here where I'm like, wow, you know, um, the, the guitars really, are sounding good. Maybe it's not his overall tone that we're used to. And I mean, this is the same guy that we hear now. I mean, yes. we can really yes. hear it. It's, it's, it's not like, you know, he, he's just sort of wanking around or he was just sort of learning or whatever. I mean, he, he's really on it on this album. Yeah. that That's such an excellent point, Tom, because I think, you know, oftentimes what we were talking about podcasts and how it takes a while to find their feet and, you know, bands, it's the same thing when you think about, and granted there were, <clears throat> there were some personnel changes, but the first two Yes albums, it wasn't really until, you know, the Yes album that Yes found themselves. It, you know, for Genesis, from Genesis to Revelation and, um, and Trespass 
are maybe a little bit different. Certainly the first part of the Pink Floyd catalog is, is a little bit different. Um, again, there were, there were personnel changes there. But yeah. fu fundamentally, the Marillion sound pops out, in, in, both in terms of playing and songwriting, it, you know, from this first album. And, and to the point where Marillion can play Garden Party today live and assuming that Hogarth actually remembers the lyrics, uh, it, it it doesn't seem completely out of place, you know? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. And 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 what really struck me in this go around was how some of the transitions in some of the songs remind me actually of like fear. Um they 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 really just they have there are elements of this band that remain from these roots even even today which which i i, I just absolutely love um i i, I do want to go back to the the vocals though the the fish vocals and i want to ask tom so a couple things like i feel like i always thought fish was more of like a poet than a vocalist, right? And 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 um and and just for like a modern day reference, like I'll reference the dude from the Counting Crows, right? He you know, he shows up and sings the albums, but when you hear live versions of all the Counting Crows songs, he's all over the map, right? He does he's not even really concerned about the vocal line. He's 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 expressing his words the way he wants to. I've always felt like Fish was was a similar similar cat, right? He was more about expressing the words, less about hitting the notes, if you will. And I feel like in script and Fugazi, he, he was more on the poet side. And then he kind of, he kind of found his, his, his footing in misplaced childhood and clutching at straws. And I think his performance in clutching at straws is probably the, the, the pinnacle of of fish um even though i like misplaced childhood i ranked it higher on my on my on my top 10 but tom i am very curious to, to hear your thoughts about fish as a vocalist because i have always found similarities in your voice to, to fish's voice um and 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 the and the in the expressions and like the expressiveness that you sing with in your songs in fact, if I was ever going to stage like misplaced childhood or a or a, a, a clutching at at straws tribute, like you would be the first person on the list to play the role of the lead singer in that in that tribute, <laughs> play the role of Fish. So I'm curious to know what your thoughts about Fish, the vocalist, like how you see him, what you think about that, and and all that. Uh, well, I have, I have a lot to say on that. Real quick, though, uh, Paul. It's interesting that you bring up the Counting Crows because I actually have a note here um, because I really feel strongly about this album, especially being their, their first album. When you listen to all the, all the live stuff that's out there, all the, all the things on the internet, whether it's, it's uh, old Merlion or new, a lot of these songs from script pop up. And you mentioned Garden Party. Joe and and um, 
you know, there are a lot of songs on here that 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 pop up. But I I, I wrote down Counting Crows because in our Prague world, what we have talked about, yes, Pink Floyd, Rush, and Genesis, these guys are the best of the best. But all of their albums, their first albums, do not really stand up. I, I think I can be safe to say that you know, you know, their their first albums are not what they they came to be. And, and Joe, you had already brought that up. But I wanted to counter that by saying bands like the Counting Crows, Van Halen, uh, even like a band like Live or Pearl Jam or, okay, King's X, those bands have had, had really great first albums, uh, really strong first albums. So there is no common thread about a band whether okay if they start out great then they then they fizzle or if they don't start out a certain way then they always go up we can always find different bands that you know find the um the, the, arc, the arc that we want to find so i did bring up the counting crows it's, it's weird that you uh, i don't think either of us uh, mentioned counting crows in three years and here we are both talking about counting crows <laughs> so to get to your point Paul with, with Fish's voice. I'll be honest. Um, I, I, I always loved his voice and it's not like I ever set out to be one of B fish, but I, I did, there was a comfort zone with his singing and I never, I sort of resented when shows like American Idol came out and it wasn't about the lyrics or the song. It was about, you know, how, how you can, sing and dance and, and, and the whole polish of it you know i've never been a I, i'm not a bob dylan fan but that's a, it's a good example of you know bob dylan's a good example of someone who doesn't have a great voice but he's just people love him and his voice is perfect for what he does and i think in in that aspect you know fish always had a very unique sound and he did what he set out to do um, and he always moved me, and I wasn't always thinking about the notes with him or, wow, he's sort of not holding out notes the way, you know, certain singers will, will hold out notes, and it just it just worked for me. And um, I, I did resent, even in my own career, when I would get critiques about my, my singing, I really was happy being in the realm of of someone like fish who maybe didn't have yeah. a great voice but who uh, really expressed himself in a certain way uh, expressed himself poetically fish is the anti-lead man i mean I, I i he's he's not good looking he's been overweight at times and you see certain videos he always has the thinning hair you know his, his voice is again in in that in that space where some people can question it and other people think it's great but he has the charisma and he has the lyrics and i'll tell you the best concert i ever saw was fish and i it just so happened he played like the next night after i saw brilliant right, right. and it was just like wow th this is it this is this is it i hear him in interviews and you know there I, there's an interview that's that's out like okay well why did you leave Marillion and said like, well they got too big and then sometimes you're like oh god come on um, and you just sort of like roll your eyes at some of his the things that he says but when he talks 
he's like, I love, I love the intimacy with the audience. And I, I really love that intimacy. Now, sometimes guys, people will say that when they're, they're sort of jealous, they didn't get that career they wanted, you know, right. and they can say, Oh, well, I really like, you know, the, the smaller crowds. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. You want to play, you know, you know, Pink Floyd's stadiums, you just can't. I mean, not people, some people just can't do that, right? So, but I bring it up because I, after seeing him live and after seeing the relationship that he has with the audience and he doesn't just sing the songs, you know, he does, um, he does like a, a spoken word thing, you know, a, a little bit. I mean, he really does talk to the audience. Someone in the audience will, will sort of respond to something he says and he he responds back um like a as as if it was like a, a comedy show it's almost like a henry rollins meets you know music uh, you know a, a band he, he sort of will talk a little bit he'll and then he'll perform and he really does interact with the audience as sort of out there as he is and you know we all will i'm sure make fun of some of the things that we hear him say with in in various interviews like that's who he is. He yeah. he really does like that interaction. It's so, amazing. It, you know, it's great you're saying this, Tom, because you know, in he, I just a couple couple weekends ago, I read his most recent interview in in like Prague Magazine, talking about, and I mentioned this in our uh, top ten episode, talking about his tour, and he said the exact things that you're you're talking about, and and I don't ever remember him saying anything different. In all the years that I've ever read anything about, you know, him leaving and, and all of that stuff, um, I completely buy into it. And I love hearing it that because you experienced that. I never had a chance to see him perform with Merlin or or solo. So it's a it's a it's cool that you had that that chance to see that. Yeah, I think I think Tom is the only member of the Palaver to have seen Fish perform live, which is interesting. We talk about the charisma, whether he has anything else or not, and I don't mean to draw a direct comparison here, but I will say, you know, I I had the experience once of seeing someone who I found in the live setting to be absolutely captivating to the point where I literally could not look at anything else, regardless of what they did. And that was, and this is going to sound really weird, but Terry Nunn of Berlin. You know, mm -hmm. Berlin is not, you wouldn't think of Berlin as being an outstanding live act. And I'm not going to say hey, that no. they are. But but there was something about Terry Nunn that just, she just grabs you. And, and uh. you can't not pay attention. It's, it's, it was stunning. I, I, you know, I hadn't really experienced that um, to that point anywhere else. But uh. yeah, I just, when you said charisma, Tom, I, that, that's what sort of came to my mind. Let's uh, let's hop into to Ken's email here quickly. So so you know and and keep in mind that you know Ken has Ken's a very witty uh, fellow. So the the indeed the subject line for this is script for my tear, and I'm just going to read the entire email <laughs> in, oh. into the uh, into the uh, into the record, and we can take it as is. Dear Prague Pala friends, supporters, and agitators. 
My gateway to Marillion was MTV and the Kaylee video. We'll get to that later, but suffice to say that Script for a Jester's Tear was not my gateway. The script is actually a lot of work for me to absorb all these years later. Let's put the March 1983 release of Script of, of Script for a Jester's Tear in context with other artists that my 13-year-old self liked at the time. Iron Maiden, Peace of Mind, May of 1983. Dio, Holy Diver, in May of 1983. ACDC, Flick of the Switch, in August of 1983. And Ozzy, Bark at the Moon, in November of 1983. I'd say Script had no chance of exciting this 13-year-old with that kind of competition. When I meet people that don't like Prague, I can think of this album to give me perspective. Specifics. Garden Party Saves the Album. I like some of Chelsea Monday. I keep hearing all this talk about Market Square Heroes, and then I get to it, it's, it's a stiff 12-8 with no particular feeling. Really? This is the legend I've been waiting for? Forgotten Sons is the most jarring track as Fish reaches his peak of cackling and screaming. Apparently, he's singing about an English soldier in Northern Ireland, so it's a war protest song. I'm sorry to say it's no Sunday, Bloody Sunday, and it's definitely no Easter. The drum and vocal ambience in this album sounds like a rock club, but it's a club in a basement warehouse. It's alienating. The entire production is alienating to me. Albums need to be landscapes that invite me. This place isn't fun. I hate the bonus tracks available on the streaming services. I feel like I'm running a race in the rain and some idiot tricks me into running a few extra tangents. Sweet Lord Jesus, make this album stop. Ken. <laughs> wow. So, with that... <laughs> I wish you wouldn't hold back. <laughs> right? So, let's get into the album itself, then. Script for Jester's Tear, the song, takes us right out of the gate. And, you know, much like the album cover itself sort of sets the tone... And, you know, it creates sort of a visual palette. I think Script for Jester's Tear, the song, helps sort of establish right from the get-go what Marillion are all about. Um, you know, I, I absolutely love these lyrics right out of the gate. You know, you, you've got, you know, this this sort of, the, the song travels in places and you got these lyrics Yet another emotional suicide, overdosed on sentiment and pride. Um, you know, it just, I, oh, I love that. I can't help but wonder, and, and I know it's specific to the imagery in the song, but when we're talking about, you know, the, the first or the, the brightest example of the neo-prog movement, the fact that the, the word roundabout shows up in this song so often... Mm -hmm feels like it can't be a coincidence either, right? You know, it's it's almost like, right. you know, a nod to those who came before us, but it's, like I said, it's completely, it's probably not that at all. It's probably just, you know, because the, the roundabout that Fish is singing about is a different type of roundabout than what John Anderson was singing about. But it just, it it strikes me as, as interesting, that this this very first song has that in there um, so much. Now, in terms of song structure, one of the things that really sticks out to me is twice the line, the game is over, 
leads us into a blistering Rothery solo. So we get, you know, we, we got this sort of semi-long form song with a couple different guitar solos, which is really, really cool. But the third time that phrase comes up, it goes into the breakdown. And I, I just, I kind of like that. Um, we get into another one of these lyrical moments. To bleed the lyric, um, to write the rights, to write my wrongs. Now, you know, Fish uses all the correct forms of right in all of that. But I just, I love the way he's able to so seamlessly, you know, use those those homonyms in in you know, a way that's so effective and deliver it in a way that you can almost hear the different spellings, if that makes any sense at all. It's mm. the, the, the way they construct that is, um, it, it's just fantastic. And um, I love what Mark Kelly does during this, this slow part, right? Um, it, it's, it, he's, He's sort of in the background, but if you pay attention to him, you're like, oh, well, he's doing some cool stuff there. And then um, Fish in this slow part is great. If, if you've listened to this in headphones, he's, he starts off with a hard pan on the left. The second um, part of that is a hard pan to the right. And then during the awake part, it, it sort of slides back over which is you know i mean it's it's in in an album where we could spend a lot of time talking about the production shortcomings as ken sort of alluded to and we talked a lot in our first episode this was sort of a, a fun little little gem to me as i was paying attention to this mm. and then my last note here um is that the rothery swells on the outro our, again, this our, our first sort of taste of that Gilmore-esque-ness to Stephen's playing. So those were those were the notes that I had on on script for Jester's Tear. I, I just I there's something about the lyrics, the title of, to this song that I have been irrationally, emotionally attached to to this song from the moment I even heard the title, before I even heard the song itself. Mm. Joe, I, I couldn't agree more. And, um, you know, this song, keep in mind, we've if you're just listening to this for the first time and you're, this is the first time you're hearing Marillion and you pop this in, okay, back in the day, it was, I'm sure it was a, a record you pop the record on and you hear the beginning and then you hear so here i am once more in the playground of the broken hearts one more experience one more entry into a diary self-penned yet another emotional suicide overdose on sentiment and pride too late to say i love you too late to restage the play abandoning the relics in my playground of yesterday. That's the first thing we hear from this band. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I mean, it's how a, it's can a, you not just splooge? It's a pretty I mean, hard and open. And then the song. <laughs> I mean, the song. I mean, say what you will about Mick Pointer. Is he's he's kind of clunky and, and things. So I mean, I, I think he's kind of okay on this album. But I mean, this song flows very smooth. 
it just it has wonderful dynamics it goes from you know your sort of jamming parts to the soft parts in a very smooth way and you almost you know i mean there are a lot of parts in this album where you say okay it's our first album and you know it's a little immature to do this or whatever but like it seems like this song could be on any of their other albums and i would i you know i think that you could swap this song for uh, a song on any of the other albums and and and, and you would buy it and you wouldn't think it was out of place and Provided so you re-recorded the drums <laughs> yeah but uh, you know I mean, I will say yeah. that the remix they they seem to have addressed some of the the drum sounds a lot. I agree. I I, I think the remix definitely is a much better presentation of the song. I, but I agree with you guys. I I think what you're touching upon is that the the greatest part of this particular song are the lyrics, and and for and and for for me, a lot of this album is is. You know the 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 practicing for the masterpiece, and this is one of those weird situations that, because I came into Marillion later, even though it was really just two albums later. I think we talked a little bit about this on, on episode one. Yeah. The, the the amount of growth between script and misplaced childhood is ridiculous, and on every on every level, but. But you can, I mean, you don't even need the music when you look at these, when you look at these lyrics, when you read them, they are, I mean, for me, they're almost better (laughs) when they're, when they're not constrained within the harmony and some of the choices that they make musically with them. I mean, it's the, it's the greatest part um, of, of this song uh, with, without a doubt for me. And, and it's funny, Paul, I recall because, you know, you and I got on this train at the same time in the same place. You know, I, I had yeah. gotten misplaced. I had shared it with you. I think we had listened to Season's End together probably shortly yep. after that. Um, and, and but I remember specifically when we went to go back, you focused in on Fugazi and I focused in on this album. And I, yeah. it took me a long time to get Fugazi. And it took you a longer time to get this album, which I just think exactly. is exactly that is funny. That is funny. Hmm. So he knows, you know, um, I find this, this is one of those cases where when I listen to it today, I find Fish's vocals to be extraordinarily grating on me. Um, <laughs> just like, God, please. And, you know, again, I, I think it's, it's, it's it's a, an, an immaturity with being a singer is is how I'm sort of looking at it today. It's not that he was meaning to annoy the shit out of me. I think it just sort of you know happened that way. And and you know I'm certainly not one to throw any stones in that particular glass house. Um, I think the first two the first two ver- lines of each verse in this song are absolutely. <laughs> phenomenal I, I i don't know about the rest of 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 the lyrics but light switch yellow fever crawling up your bathroom wall singing psychedelic praises to the depths of a china bowl i mean very graphic you you know yes. what's going on 
Fast feed, crystal fever swarming through a fractured mind. Chilling needles freeze emotion. The blind shall lead the blind. Okay, cool. Yeah, I mean, just and 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 the 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 cadence of that vocal line, really, really stellar. Absolutely love it. Um, it's funny. So we have a very undistinguished Mark Kelly solo before the guitar solo, which I'm just like, why, why are we even doing this here? But the, um, of course I can't even re read my own writing. The outro shit still always sounds like part of, Oh, <laughs> the outro shit I'm referring to is the sound design stuff here. Don't give me your problems. Click. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Which it always, I always thought that was part of the web, but it it it, it actually tracks as the end of of uh, he knows you know, and it just you know it. This is you know one of those Pink Floyd influences in terms of this little yeah. sound design you know stuff in between. It doesn't really land for me, but it, it doesn't really bother me either. It's just you know well, it's it's kids screwing around. I agree. It's it's kind of pulled off kind of amateurish. It's kind of like the song ends and and then the it comes in and the phone the phone stuff it goes on too long. But <laughs> the way that it goes into the web is pretty fucking awesome. See, I think it's like, terrible. Don't give me your problems and he slams the phone down and it's like dang. See, I and and that's <laughs> why I always thought it was terrible, because if it if it's supposed to lead, like I always thought it was the front part of the web. And I think the, 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 the break between slamming the thing and the dun of yeah. the web is like just a shade too long. If huh. I were producing that, I would slim it down just a little bit. But the fact that it's actually part of the previous track, you know, it's like, okay, great. But it, it, and Interesting. Well, yeah. I mean, it could also have to do with uh, a lot of things. CD distance between tracks, vinyl, streaming. I don't know, but I do. I I think it. I think it was. It's for me the transition between the sound design and the web is better than the transition to the end of He Knows You Know and the sound design. <laughs> 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 I think they missed the mark there. Did they do that in the live version, the Nick Pointer's live version? Does he have something like that no, going on? No, he does not. He does not. Okay. All right. He he does do the little spoken word bit in Chelsea Monday, but we'll get to that later on. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Well, I, this song, listen, when I listen to the song, I can't get it out of my head. I, I, it, I, I, I love... I just love the chorus. I, I love if you can, you can call it that, right? But yeah. what I do, I, I do find somewhat almost comical is the, you've got, like the way he <laughs> sings that part. It's, it's, it's just like, wow, who, who thought that was a good idea to leave it in like that? Like, I don't, I don't, I don't know. It just sounds kind of. I don't know if those are those Peter Gabriel moments where he's like channeling that or 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 what. But it's, it's. I, I just feel like it's, it's not Fish at his best. And I could be completely off. Like people may absolutely fucking love that, that part. But for me, like Tom, 
there you go. Ah, uh, that's what I would fucking do. You, <laughs> I, I love that fucking part. <laughs> well, there uh, you have it. There you have it. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it, it's just, I mean, we've heard so many interesting ways of doing things in the prog albums that we have been talking about. So this is nothing new to us, but like, it's just such a different way of expressing yourself with the song. I mean, this is drug addiction. It's anger. It's frustration. It's, 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 it's sadness. Um, and um, when he said, especially you got, it's, it's just, it, to me, it's just raw anger. And there's a difference between this raw anger and then, like Iron Maiden or Judas Priest. Like that's like heavy metal anger. But this is just raw. This is just someone yelling, but it just feels right to me. It just feels good. And um, I could, uh, when this album starts with these two songs, like I'm in cloud nine. Like I'm just like, I'm in like some other place. And it fish puts me there. And he's he's sort of again in a in Peter Gabriel way in in a lot of his stuff he's he's acting it out um, and he he's he's acting it as the person that he's talking about but he's also the person and there's a, a it's almost a weird um, gray area but it's to me it's not about notes anymore and it, it's not about where you're, are you singing from your throat? Are you singing from your abdomen? Are you, you know, technical things? It's just raw emotion. And that, that really gets me. The, the, the song, um, 100%, everything that's going on, I'm, I'm just, I'm just in love with. And so I can't say enough about this song. Nice. Well, I mean, I, I mean, at risk of sounding pedestrian, I mean, over time, this has become my favorite song from this album for really? sure. Yeah. Despite despite what I just said about the you got part. So this goes into the web. Um, I, here again, we have another sedate Mark Kelly solo, another song where I am absolutely in love with the lyrics. What I find funny, you know, they're not reflected in the in the lyrics that are printed in the booklet for the CD I have. I Last night when I was listening to this sort of if for my final time, I pulled up the lyrics from Marillion.com. They're not reflected there, but there are two Christs that, that Fish sticks in at the start of lines here um, that are not reflected in the lines. And I think those, those two exclamations really add some weight here. One of my favorites... Um, comes in the slow section. Confused and rejected, despised and alone, I kiss isolation on its fevered brow. Security clutching me, obscurity threatening me. Your reasons were so obvious as my friends have qualified. I only laughed away your tears, but even jesters cry. Mm. So here again, you have sort of this this lyrical thread that, that goes back to script for a jester's tear, which I think is absolutely wonderful i personally and and i have a suspicion paul that maybe you don't jam on this quite to the level that i do 
But I like in this particular song the different levels of fish delivery throughout the various sections here. So it's almost like you get a full spectrum of fish coming right at you. Um, and, and I've got I've got another note, but I, I want to leave it till maybe the end of the discussion on this song. So I'm, I'm mm. going to stop here for a second and, and let you guys have at it. Sure. You, well, so you, you would be correct. I agree with you that it's that, you know, you get all the facets of fish and and then you'd also be correct that I don't jam on it quite quite the same way that 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 you do. There, there are some moments in here where I, I just kind of, especially now, I, I mean, I hate to say it. I don't know what it is. Maybe I'm just getting too old, <laughs> but, but I, but sometimes I'm just like, come on, you know, it's just so dramatic. Like it's, it's, it, it, it's sometimes it, it almost, and, and the thing is, is like, I, I don't want to sound like I'm criticizing, right? Because it, it, Sometimes I listen and it's so great. And sometimes I listen and, and I'm and I just chuckle to myself, you know, like I just chuckle like that's so funny. He's like he's being so dramatic, you know, <laughs> the, 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 that young little lad, you know, he's just being so dramatic. So so there there are times when when I, I for some reason I just check out uh, from that. But but again, the, the lyrics are incredible. And um and you're right, the delivery spans the spectrum of delivery that fish is capable of. I don't I don't mind the dramatics, but I have to say this is probably my least favorite song on the album. It doesn't emotionally get me the way some of the other songs do. Uh, I I do love the lyrics. I'm never one to shun away from the uh you know, fish's dramatics. So that that certainly doesn't bother me. But I mean, as as a song, um, I tend to sort of drift a little bit. As prog as this album is, there's still great song elements that are are brought in. Great hooks. Uh, one of the great things in general. This may maybe not the web, but uh, Marillion is all about hooks, but it's not. They're not all about the vocal hooks. I mean, Rothery always has great recurring themes and the, and the keyboards are always doing things that are typically done by a lead singer through through melody. But they, it seems like they all kind of come to. And the fact that they do this on this album early on and they all kind of take the place of a lead singer in a way whether it's a catchy keyboard line or something that somebody else is doing. So when I say hook and, and Marillion, it, it, it almost takes on a completely different color than, than any other yeah. band. That's a, that's um, a great point. Mm -hmm. So it's just, you know, so that being said, the web doesn't quite do that as well as some of the other stuff on the album for me. And I, I love that point because that's one of the things I, that maybe sets Marillion apart is that, and, and keep in mind at this point, and I can't even do the math, but what the, the core musical members have been playing together at this point for 36 years without interruption. Mm. It sounds about it, right. 
at no point has any one of the of the musicians completely overwhelmed the others in the way that you have with other bands. Um, you know, while you know, um, while Roger Waters exerted his influence in song, terms of songwriting as a musician, he never you know swamped everything. Right. Um, right. You know, it, we made jokes throughout the entire Genesis catalog about. You know, everyone just needs to get out of Tony's way and let him do what he wants to do. There's there there seems to be a very egalitarian approach musically within Marillion and always has been, and to your point, Tom. So let me let me throw something out here. And and this may be provocative. It's not meant to be. And I am not in any way, shape, or form suggesting causality or direct connection. But about a week ago, when I started listening to this album again, sort of in earnest in prep for this, something popped out of my brain and I cannot escape it now. And that is the web, this song evokes for me images very similar to those found in Operation Mind Crime. Mm. Wow. So so follow me here. Listen. I, I was not expecting that. Listen listen to listen to the first part of these lyrics. The rain audi auditions at my window. Its symphony echoes in my womb. My gaze scans the walls of this apartment to rectify the confines of my tomb. I'm the cyclops in the tenement. I'm the soul without the cause. Crying mm. mist my rubber plants, ignoring beckoning doors. Clippings from ancient newspapers lie scattered across the floor, stained by the wine from a shattered glass, meaningless words yellowed by time, faded photos exposing pain, celluloid leeches bleeding my mind. You've finished playing hangman, you've cast the fateful dice. Advice, advice, advise me. The shroud will not suffice. This, to me... Just like I said, I can't get out of my head that part in Mind Crime where he's talking about all these candles in his room and he's yeah. isolated in the room and he's, you know, it, 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 it just once. And like I said, I'm not in any way suggesting that Queensryche was aping off the web. I'm not saying that this <laughs> gave this this gave rise to some of the imagery in Mind Crime, but it. It seems to me that the the parallels are there, and I'm just I'm sort of excited by this. Uh, yeah, that's that's. I mean, as you're reading that, and you mentioned it, I'm thinking along the same lines. But I I don't think I would have ever connected those two aspects of sort of isolation um, feelings in that same way. And and, and clearly wow. Fish is not running some sort of subversive murderous um you know campaign in 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 his thing but you still have the character that is isolated in their apartment. You have, you know, the 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 pictures here presumably are different from the pictures in Mind Crime, but the 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 emotional scenario in some ways is is similar and you know i just yeah. I, I i like to connect these dots so that was fun for me that's a that's a great um, connection i i wouldn't have thought of that either so a lot it, it seems like a lot of the topics 
I mean, there's some political stuff, which makes sense. But a lot of the topics are are basically love Mm -hmm. and addiction. And those are not really... And and I could be wrong because I ha- I think I have a fairly consistent track record of not paying attention to lyrics throughout all of these progressive rock songs. It it, it is well but, noted, but it is it is a little odd to have so much until I mean, and I guess this is the era of Trevor Rabin, but it is a little odd of having so much emphasis on sort of love and relationships in in a progressive perspective. Right, progressive rock. Even today, you know, we we write about things, we write about events, we write about stories. We don't necessarily write about love. Yeah, at this at this point, Fish does not have a very good opinion of love. So, so that was that was my fun with the web. Like I said, I was I was hoping that no one else would bring that up, and apparently, I was uh, <laughs> was not disappointed. Now, Garden Party is. You know, this this is where my lack of alignment with everyone else kind of comes in. I I have grown to really appreciate Garden Party, and I can enjoy it for what it is, but it has never really captured my imagination in the way that, Paul, I know it did for you, apparently based yeah. on what he said it does for Ken. Um, it, it's... It's at very least, it's an extraordinarily strange transition to go from the web into garden party. <laughs> it's yeah. just like what? Well, um, I, I mean, I don't, I, I don't want to cut you off. No, but no. I think, I think that's a huge part of it, right? There's a bit of relief. There's levity. I, I mean, let's face it. Script, he knows, you know, and the web are are pretty fucking serious. Yeah. And garden party adds some levity, and. I don't know that I've ever tried to count it out, but the, but I'm pretty sure it's a, a regular time signature. I'm pretty sure it's just like a straight four, four, but there's just this wonderful rhythmic component to it that sounds progressive. It sounds like, you know, everything that we love about this, this genre of music. And I think that those two elements were, were what drew it to me and still what make it, <laughs> What make it so enjoyable for me to this to this day? Plus, he plus everybody stops playing and he goes, "I'm fucking." I mean, that's just great. That's rock and roll, you know. And and, and the crowd still love that to this day. Exactly. <laughs> I did. I did have to look up because I always wanted to know what punting was. Punting apparently is boating for those of us in the U.S. So uh, apologies to Ken Fuller for not knowing that. That's going to be one of those things where he's going to laugh at us. But, you know. No, no doubt. No doubt. Wasn't there like a very funny video with this? Yeah, with this it, song it, too? it is funny. And I, I actually watched the video in preparation for this. Um, funny in, in sort of a, a disturbing way. Yeah. I mean, it's. <laughs> of course. Of you course, know, it's disturbing. It, it's just it's, a little bit. It's it's not it's not pretty in any stretch of the imagination. And I'm still trying to figure out. I'm pretty sure somehow Rothery had the role of playing the the local clergyman in in all of the shenanigans. So the other four are the 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 rapscallions, if you will, and I believe it's Rothery who ends up playing the, the clergyman at the uh, at the garden party itself. And eventually, he gets dumped into the uh, into the lake from the the, the boat. 
mm. among other okay. shenanigans. Nice. I'm going to go on a limb here, guys. I'm not going to say I'm I'm a huge Mick Pointer fan, but I will say that in a song like Garden Party, if Mick Pointer was not the drummer, it would really be a different song. The sort of the clunkiness that maybe is standoffish to some people, it's perfect for this song. There's a uh, anticipation and a staccato that is, is, is brought out in this song that really makes it different from a, another direction that they could go. There's a certain charm on Garden Party that is very much helped and led by McPointer's playing on this. And it is sort of a, um, you know, there are times on this album, and I'm probably going to get crucified for this, but it's sort of like a, a light version of Iron Maiden. But there is a, a, a sort of a clunking that goes on in, in, in this song that um, I, I find very charming. And I find that the rhythm section, uh, both the bass and, and drums really make it what it is. So I love the lyrics on all these songs and um, the Garden Party is no exception. And there's there's a, a lot of great things that happen on the song. But um, I will say that there is um, something different to the song and I think that's brought by McPointer. Nice. I have a quick trivia question or just a question for you lads. Yes. If you were going to take Garden Party... And you were going to make it like a radio single to broadcast. You would have to you would have to work around that line. I'm fucking. So if you think of it in the break, it's I'm punting, I'm beagling, I'm whining, reclining, I'm rucking. What do you replace the word fucking with? Sucking? Clucking? Sucking and clucking are very good. (laughs) Good choices. Well, they went with miming. I I guess to to rhyme with whining and reclining. reclining. Yeah. Apparently, fish appeared on shows like Top of the Pops. And, and, and like I guess they did like a lip sync of this. And where he got to the, the, the place where he was supposed to say miming because that was in the single, he just stopped singing and pointed pointed to his lips as, as, as it happened. So just a little bit of fun. I don't even know how you get to miming. Maybe it was a first draft. I don't know. <laughs> Interesting. I don't know. I just... I will never forget the first time that I saw Marillion where Joe and I saw Marillion in the same venue without actually seeing each other. <laughs> and and they played this. I want to say they played it as one of the encores that may have just been towards the end of the night. And like out of nowhere, like everybody just had cucumbers <laughs> at the ready. Do you remember that, Joe? Do you, I, do you I, honestly, that I honestly don't know, but... I, I was I just couldn't believe I mean imagine now trying to smuggle a cucumber into into a, a venue but 
<laughs> I just remember like people with cucumbers, like, I mean, just, I just in a fun, a fun aside. Wow. Um, yeah. Marillion, Marillion fans have always been spectacular. And all these years, it's, it's still a delight. This, this tune, it's, it's still delightful to me. I, I, I really enjoy it. So Chelsea Monday, hmm. enough for levity. Let's go back to the downer. <laughs> <laughs> I I love these lyrics too. Oh my goodness. She'll pray for endless Sundays as she enters saffron sunsets. Conjure phantom lovers from the tattered shreds of dawn. Oh my goodness. Are you kidding me? Good Lord. Who writes that kind of stuff? Ah, exactly. <laughs> Absolutely love it. So, um, I, honestly, I don't have much to say about this, but I mean, this is a song about a drowned girl, right? Hello, John. Did you see the standard about four hours ago? Fished a young chick out of the old father. Um, blonde hair, blue eyes. She said she wanted to be an actress or something. Nobody knows where she came from, where she was going. Funny thing was she had a smile on her face. She was smiling. What a waste. So, I mean, she's dead, right? Am I missing that? Hmm. I think so, yeah. So, and, and if that's the case, the, the most interesting thing about this is here on their first album, we have a girl being pulled out of the river, which, you know, is going to be a revisited theme, although later down the road. It's true. Nobody knows where she came from, where she was going. Yeah. Fascinating. I mean, this, this is, this is one of those songs I, I understand and appreciate Chelsea Monday maybe isn't everyone's cup of tea, but in those sort of, you know, dark corners of, of my mind where I like to go, it fits in perfectly. I have, mm. I have responded to this song ever since I first heard it. It's, it's spooky and it's creepy and, and everything else, but it works for me. You can see why certain songs on here sort of stood the test of time because they have certain hooks, um, certain beats. Chelsea Monday doesn't really have either, but it still has withstood the test of time. It's still played and, and, and still on like certain live albums, you, you, you hear it and Joe, you hit the nail on the head. It, it, there's really um, an emotional gravity that, that sort of sucks you in on, 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 on this song. And I, I don't know, uh, some of the things that keep me with the song are, are more guitar oriented rothery really yeah. does some wonderful things on here with melody and um they really play off of each other nicely in this song but again there's really no hook and you're just sort of like floating around and you're sort of taken on this journey and, you, and you're sort of not quite sure why you're invested in it but you are it's an interesting song um you know, I, I don't know if this will go down as one of my favorites in the um, Fishmore catalog, but uh, I certainly, I certainly respect it, and I certainly appreciate it. 
I think for me, the, the unfortunate part about Chelsea Monday and Forgotten Sons is that it, it came after Garden Party. <laughs> um, over the years, like, you know, the albums just sort of always kind of ended there for me. But, you know, I think I think you're absolutely right. It just doesn't. They're just my two lesser favorites on, on the record. But I, I will say this. After all this time, Joe, I never really thought about that connection with, um, you know, with Brave. Yeah, that's pretty that's pretty wild. And Paul, you had you had mentioned Forgotten Sons, which obviously will you know will will close out the album here. Forgotten Sons is interesting because I, when I get away from this album and I think about Forgotten Sons, I always want to just dismiss it as you know annoying fluff at the end of of the record. But mm-hmm. every time I listen to it, it's like it still engages me. Um, somehow, so there there are some things about it that I like. You know, trivia fact, just to throw it in here, and it's actually covered in the wiki, so it's not like it's any big secret. But in the uh, in the radio part in the beginning, more Pink Floyd fun, um, Marcus mm-hmm. Square Heroes does show up for a, a small snippet there, which you know mm-hmm. that was that was kind of fun. I yeah. think the um, the guitar tone in the solo is exceptionally weird, but Steve Rothery has proven himself not afraid to use weird guitar tones. I'm not going to say they're terrible, a la, you know, Steve Howe circa Relayer. They're not like that, you know, they're, they're not they're chocolate They're kind of like, like early 80s Foreigner, though. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's, it's so, it, it kind of doesn't fit with like, of all the places that Steve Rothery goes in his career, it, it, it's a bit out there for him. Yeah, it, it's it's almost like bizarrely mainstream. But that early, like, I don't even know how the song is eight minutes and 23 seconds long. But but that like three minute breakdown is like it's it's almost disco. Well, it's so funny you bring that up. I mean, uh, I, I guess we're on um, Forgotten Sons. Yeah, but um, yeah, so I, I, I actually sorry. do have a disco in, in my notes. <laughs> on this. Yeah. I, I don't know how we ended up in disco land here. And it's 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 so unexpected given everything else we've done. It's like where the where the heck is this here? And I have a yeah. note about that section as well because it it does. You're just like oh, what? How how did we get here? You know. But at the same time, you you've <laughs> you've got this this sort of war protest song, and you got to give Fish credit for adapting the Lord's Prayer into, <laughs> into an anti-war song. I mean, I, talk well, about Brascajones, right? <laughs> <laughs> and 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 this song gives gives rise to maybe on some level my most favorite um, fish turn of phrase and one that I have used Many, many, many times over many, many, many years, and that is verbal masturbation. I love, <laughs> I love the phrase verbal masturbation, and it it conveys so much. And you know, as as you live in the corporate world, you have a lot of opportunities to refer to verbal masturbation. And um, I just so it's it's fun that we have this here from the the absolute very beginning. And, you know, it's just it's like I said, I I want to dismiss this song, 
but when I listen to it and I pay attention, I, I'm engaged with this song. And, and this, you know, I, I'm very happy to listen to it. I, I don't know that I've ever, you know, sat around going, boy, I really want to hear Forgotten Sons. I better go pull script, um, <laughs> you know, but at the same time, there it is. I love this song. And I'll tell you, when I recently listened to this song, something popped up about what, Paul, you said about Nostradamus last week, and you were talking about almost the the fight you were having with moments that you were just like, oh my gosh, is, is this great? Or is it sort of um, mocking itself? Is it sort of um, cliche, you know? And, and there's like this sort of inner fight that, that you're, that, that you're having. Um, you're enjoying it, but you're asking yourself, why, why am I, should I, should I be enjoying this? <laughs> and so uh, Forgotten Sons is a prog cliche. If you, if you really look at it, well, I guess anyone talking about prog and they talk about a prog cliche, they will say, okay, a lot of pieces that are just put together and a lot of pieces that, that don't make sense and that are uh, very, very dramatic changes here and dramatic changes here things that really don't necessarily work together. And when you listen to Forgotten Sons, there's a, there are, it's almost like a, like a mini concept song in a way where you have like a lot of these different sort of prog cliches, but they all sound so fucking good. I mean, they all are just going down like chocolate milk, right? Uh, you know, unless you're a vegan. Um, so I guess, I think Forgotten Sons, you, you start off with the echoey verses, echoing each other, and then you have that like Scottish kind of jig thing going. And again, there's that, to me, there's like an Iron Maiden like clunking that goes on, okay? And then you have the the shout section. The fish is saying one thing, and then there's the, the other person who's saying it an octave lower. Um, and that's just a completely different. And then that goes right into the disco section. And then, you know, these things may not um, sit well to, to someone, but to me, every one of these sections is just wonderful to listen to. And I'm like saying to myself, oh, God, that was a really good idea. Or like, that just, that, oh, that, was, that, that was cool. And, and, Again, I'm kind of also chuckling a little bit, Paul. I like how you were chuckling uh, with one of the other songs. And I'm going, okay, that's, this is sort of a, a prog cliche. Um, but it, it, this, uh, I have to say, I, I love it from start to finish. And um, at the end of the song, I'm like, are you kidding me? This album's over. Uh, <laughs> and, and, um, <laughs> And then luckily we have the 1997 version and Market Square Heroes comes in and, 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 and saves the day. But I guess we won't talk about that. Uh, Forgotten Sons is, um, is, is a, I guess you would call it a guilty pleasure. Certain people would say, okay, this is sort of like an immature version of Marillion before they, you know, did X, Y, and Z. But I embrace this. I'm, I think this song works exactly um, the way it was meant, and I'm I'm with it hook, hook, line, and sinker. So I, I completely embrace the song. 
what better way to to finish up on this album? That <laughs> I mean, that's 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 spectacular, Tom. And uh, yeah, you know, I I I I don't even know what to say anymore. Other than I'm glad that we decided to do this. I think it's fun to sort of go back and and get you know, into the weeds the way we do on, on these albums. And, um, yeah, I, I definitely look forward to, to the rest of this, but, uh, Tom, I, I think your enthusiasm for Forgotten Sons, you know, I, I think it's a, it's a perfect, you know, uh, exclamation point on the end of this record. So. Here, here. Awesome. Nice. So that being said, next week we uh, can look forward to covering Fugazi. Yes, <laughs> which will which will make Paul very happy. I, Ken has been kind of silent on uh, on Fugazi. I, I don't know where where Ken lies there, but um, I I think uh, you know for me I'm very much looking forward to that. I think I think that Fugazi really takes what they start with script and and amplifies it a little bit. Um, and and I think it's it's a fun album. I can't wait to talk about it. So. Until next week, gentlemen, I will thank you, as always, for your time and your enthusiasm. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Progressive Palaver. As always, we enjoy sharing the conversation with you, and we look forward to your thoughts, comments, feedback, and questions. You can reach out to us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by looking at us for at ProgPala or search for Progressive Palaver. You're welcome to email us. Our email address is at progpala at gmail.com. A lot of ads in there. don't know what the hell my problem is. You can uh, subscribe to... Progressive Palaver on any number of platforms at this point, most notably Apple Podcast and Google Podcast, or presumably wherever you find your podcast. And we are, as always, hosted on SoundCloud. So until next time, thanks for listening. Let's let's get into the album itself. I think we've been talking long enough here. The script register's tear comes Guys, out of uh, yeah. Uh, go ahead. Uh, I, I'm I'm really sorry. I I have to fucking pee like a racehorse. I'm really <laughs> sorry that I, I have not managed this properly. Can, can can you give me like three minutes to pee and maybe get some more bourbon? Yes, of course. I'm gonna. Uh, I'm sorry. My tea. I'm sorry. Thank you.